It was November 27th, the end of the week, and Mohsen Fakhrizadeh was in his car, passing by Golden Hills as he traveled down a small road in Absard, a city east of Iran's capital, Tehran. And he was apparently accompanied by his wife, and there was another car driven by a bodyguard, or more than one bodyguard. Then something happens, something loud that doesn't sound right. And he gets out of the car for some reason. He thinks there's something wrong with the engine. And uh, he hears bullets. And that is when he is hit. And that is when another bodyguard jumps on him to save his life. And that's when the bodyguard is injured, but he fails to save. And hours later at the hospital, Iran's top nuclear scientist dies. Well, that's one account. Another account says he was worried about his bodyguards. He was trying to get to them to help them. And getting out of the car is when he was hurt. He'd been traveling in a bulletproof vehicle. That is one of the bigger ambiguities of how he was assassinated. So many questions. What happened to Iran's top nuclear scientists? And who's behind it? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I'm Maziar Motamedi. I'm a journalist with Al Jazeera English website in Tehran. And where am I catching you right now? I'm at home. I've been mostly working from home due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been uh, really rough here. Significant increase in uh, number of cases and deaths and hospitalizations. And it's about quadrupled in the past two months alone. We're into a two-week, almost full lockdown. So working mostly from home. And that's also where Maziar was working in the days before the assassination, writing stories about how Iran was responding to Joe Biden as president-elect of the United States, the future of the Iran nuclear deal, and how many reformist Iranians want to revive that deal, the 2015 JCPOA. Iran and world powers signed a landmark nuclear deal in 2015 that curbed Iran's nuclear program in exchange for lifting multilateral sanctions. In 2018, Donald Trump unilaterally withdrew from that deal and imposed very harsh economic sanctions on Iran that have only intensified since then without stop. Iran is waiting for President-elect Joe Biden to return the U.S. to the 2015 nuclear deal a treaty intended to keep Iran's nuclear program peaceful. And now Joe Biden has promised to come back to that deal and lift sanctions as a starting point to more negotiations on Iran's missile programs. That is, if Iran returns to compliance, which is an important sticking point and one that may be in jeopardy now in a way that it wasn't before the assassination of Mohsen Fakhrizadeh. You wrote an article with a headline quoting Iran's president, Hassan Rouhani, and it said, Iran and the U.S. can return to the time before Trump. Iran and the U.S. can both announce that they can go back to the January 20th conditions. We are willing to return to the conditions of January 20th, 2017. America can do the same. This step can help resolve many of the existing difficulties and help set a new direction and improve the situation. And then a day later, this happened. 
So we begin with the breaking news from Iran and the scientists believed to be at the very heart of the country's nuclear program has been killed in an attack east of the capital, Tehran. News about an attack on a nuclear scientist in Iran. What was President Rouhani saying about the relationship between Iran and the United States and his hopes for it? And do you think that it could still be true? I think it's still technically possible to do what Rouhani said, to just turn the clock back on Trump, go back four years after Joe Biden comes into office. But it is much more difficult right now. And I think that is a major goal of this assassination attempt. Fakhrizadeh arrived in a hospital in Iran, severely wounded, not too long after he died. So what do we know about that day and what happened to him? It was Friday, a weekend here, and I pop up my phone and it's filled with news of scientists killed. It's still not fully clear. Initially, officials, including the defense minister, said that there was an explosion. A pickup truck was parked on the side of the road. It was rigged with explosives. It was detonated. And then gunmen opened fire on the car carrying Fakhrizadeh. They mortally wounded him and wounded another bodyguard who survived the attack. But then, days after, the Secretary of Iran's National Security Council provided a completely different account of what happened. He said technical equipment were used as part of a very sophisticated attempt on Fakhrizadeh's life. And that seemed to corroborate some of the reports by Iranian media outlets that cited unnamed sources as saying there was a machine gun mounted on that pickup truck that was, one said, controlled by satellites and nobody was there. Ali Shamkhani of the National Security Council confirmed that there was nobody at the scene. So what do we know about him, about Mohsen Fakhrizadeh? To the Iranian public, at least, he was virtually unknown before he was assassinated. And that was by design. He was a top nuclear and um, military scientist. The defense minister said that he was a key figure in both Iran's nuclear defense and missile defense programs. And so his identity needed to be protected. Iran maintains that its nuclear and missile programs are peaceful and just to defend itself, not to attack any country. But he was known to Western intelligence agencies, especially the U.S. and Israel, because they have a huge interest in Iran's nuclear program. And they said that Fakhrizadeh was the head of the Ahmad program, which Western intelligence says was Iran's program to create nuclear weapons and was disbanded in 2003. But Israel still maintains that program wasn't fully disbanded. Iran still wants to build a nuclear weapon. And from the very first few hours after the assassination, it was clear that there's no doubt in Iranian officials' minds that Israel and Mossad were behind this. About a decade ago, five other nuclear scientists were killed inside Iran, and Iran has long maintained that Israel and its intelligence agency Mossad were behind those attacks. Officials have said they've identified who's behind this, and they have clues to go on, but they are not ready to 
publicize it yet. And according to Iranian officials, for more than two decades, Israel and Mossad wanted to kill him. Apparently, there was another attempt on his life about 12 years ago. So this is not new at all. Iran also knew that he was a target, that he could be assassinated. And one interesting thing is that both the secretary of the National Security Council and the Iranian government spokesman said that Iran knew where he was going to be assassinated. Iran knew the location, but apparently because this threat has been going on for 20 years, the security measures were not good enough to prevent the assassination from being successful. Did you know about him and who he was and the work he did before this attack? No, I had not heard his name either. That was the first time I heard his name. But he was subject to United States sanctions in 2008 and the United Nations Security Council sanctions a year prior. And uh, Iran says that U.S. and Israel gave Fakhrizadeh's name to the U.N. to be blacklisted. Is it correct that he was also doing some work on COVID and finding a treatment? Yes, he was the head of the research and innovation organization of the defense ministry at the time of his assassination. Iranian officials have been saying that he was a very capable scientist with a hand in a lot of fields. And apparently a team working under him was developing a COVID vaccine that is apparently the only Iranian vaccine right now that has passed animal trials, and they've named that vaccine after him. So a few days after his assassination, Iran held a martyr's funeral for him. Iran began the burial of one of the country's top nuclear scientists in a cemetery in northern Tehran on Monday. What was that like? Iranian officials very much like to use the term martyr for great characters who lose their lives in service of the country. So yes, his funeral was very much a martyr's funeral. It was televised live. It took several days. His coffin was draped in the Iranian flag. There was a military march. Officials and clerics prayed for him, and he was buried at the Imam Zad Saleh shrine in northern Tehran. Do you think that his death might have an effect on Iran's nuclear program as a whole? Anything I say on that would be just pure conjecture. I have no idea. But all Iranian officials do say that it's been decades since Iran's nuclear program was started. So it's not just a few top scientists doing the work. They've had a long time to train a huge number of scientists. Iran has a large number of young, educated people as well. And so that will mean that Iran's nuclear program will be able to continue its path. Days before this assassination, there were reports of officials moving around the Middle East. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, Israel's prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, more recently Trump advisor and son-in-law, Jared Kushner. What does it have to do with Iran? 
right after Donald Trump lost the U.S. presidential elections. This election is over and Donald Trump lost. The people voted. Joe Biden won the election. Joe Biden won the election decisively. It was clear that Trump and their allies, Israel and Iran's rivals in the region, will only have a matter of weeks to increase their pressure on Iran. Almost immediately, Mike Pompeo announced a trip to the Middle East. Mike Pompeo kicked off a tour of seven countries in Europe and the Middle East. The first U.S. Secretary of State to visit an illegal Israeli settlement in the occupied West Bank and the occupied Golan Heights. Pompeo will travel to Turkey, Georgia, Israel, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar and Saudi Arabia. And conveniently, he went to all the countries that rival Iran. Israel, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, and a major stated purpose of those visits were to increase pressure on Iran. What I took away from the gatherings is that while there is more work to do, the work that we've done to isolate the regime in the Islamic Republic of Iran has been good for their people, it's been good for the Middle East. And just days after the U.S. imposed another raft of sanctions on Iran, it was announced that a flood of new sanctions are incoming. The Trump administration is planning to hit Iran with a new flood of sanctions. Observers say Jerusalem and Washington will be planning a last-minute wave of sanctions on Iran. And the next week, we saw another wave of sanctions. And Pompeo talked to Netanyahu, and they reportedly had secret meetings in the region on Iran. None of the countries have obviously talked about this. Israel has refused to comment. The U.S. has not made a mention of this at all. And just days later, Fakhrizadeh was assassinated. So how are people feeling about this? I know that your ability to go out and talk to people on the streets is limited because of COVID and a, a rise in cases. But are there fears of more attacks ahead? Is there an uneasiness with this and, and knowing that there are all these dealings happening in the short handover between the Trump administration and the Biden administration. Naturally, wherever you stand on this, whether you're for Trump and ramping up pressure or against Trump and what his allies are doing, you know Trump is on his way out. And so everybody is expecting pressures to ramp up and most probably there will be other incidents in the coming weeks. One reaction to that, of course, is a potential of war and military conflict. But Masyar says fear of all-out war is not new, and Iran has become especially familiar with it in the last year of the Trump administration. During which the Trump administration has increasingly ramped up tensions with Iran, we had the assassination of top Iranian general Qasem Soleimani during the very starting days of 2020. Iran immediately responded by firing missiles at U.S. bases. It was a very big sign of escalation. Of course, there are a lot of Iranians who don't want war. Those fears are revived right now. On the other hand, there are people who are furious about a top scientist being assassinated so brazenly inside the country, just near Tehran, the capital. 
and they are calling for retaliation and they want a strong response. That is actually helped by parliament and some of the conservatives and hardliners inside the Iranian establishment as well. Just on Wednesday, the parliament approved a bill that calls for inspectors of the International Atomic Energy Agency to be kicked out of the country and for Iran to increase its enrichment of uranium and stockpile of low enriched uranium and to revitalize its nuclear program as a whole. An urgent motion passed during an urgent session in parliament. 251 parliamentarians are demanding that the government stop unrestricted access by IAEA's inspectors to Iranian nuclear sites. This draft bill would also oblige Iran's atomic energy organization to take uranium enrichment to 20%. It is now at 4.5%. And under the 2015 nuclear agreement, Iran should be producing enriched uranium at only 3.67%. The Majlis indeed sends the message to the enemies of Iran that this one-sided game is over. Now, usually uh, approving such a major plan will take weeks, months, perhaps a year. In terms of this bill, all of this process happened in five days. In just five days, the parliament increased the urgency of the bill, one by one talked about and approved its articles, sent it to the Guardian Council. The problems were resolved in two hours, then sent back to the Guardian Council and approved in one hour. This is extraordinary in terms of how legislation works in Iran. So the parliament speaker immediately just sent the bill to the government and the government now has very limited time, a matter of weeks, to start implementing this law. Maziar says it's important to clarify that President Hassan Rouhani and his administration are moderate, but the Iranian parliament is not. The government and parliament have been at each other's throats in the past few months. The supreme leader at one point intervened. The previous parliament was dominated by reformists, but the parliament that came on after elections in February that had the lowest voter turnout in the four-decade history of the Islamic Republic is very much dominated by conservatives and hardliners. Do you see this bill as being related to the assassination and the timing of it? Absolutely, yes. Uh, number of members of parliament have said that this is an appropriate response to the assassination and they say this is proportionate to what's been done. So it sounds like there are members and parts of the Iranian government that have wanted to make it difficult to get back to the negotiating table while in the United States there are reports that the Trump administration is trying to make it even more difficult for the Biden administration to get back to the negotiating table with Iran. So where does this leave segments of the Iranian government like Hassan Rouhani and everyday average citizens who were hopeful of a Biden administration and what it might mean for Iran? At the moment, it seems that Rouhani is outnumbered. Right now, the hardliners are very much emboldened. They've been advocating for this for years. 
right after Trump came into office, some people were never for the nuclear deal. But right now, they have the larger voice, and Rouhani just has to wait and see how this goes and hope that he can carry it on until Biden comes into office. This is no small development. It will have major repercussions for the nuclear deal. And it moves timelines. The government has two months uh, from the start of the implementation date of the bill to kick out IAEA inspectors. So this will give Joe Biden a matter of weeks, perhaps months at most, to come back to the nuclear deal, lift sanctions and appease Iranian hardliners so that this bill will allow Iran also to come back into full compliance. And for the Iranian people? In terms of the people, they just want uh, a better economy, a better standard of life. Following the nuclear deal, there was a lot of hope among the people that things would get better. But after Trump came on, things changed drastically. And right now there's rampant inflation, uh, unemployment, and then to top it off, the worst and deadliest COVID-19 of the Middle East. So right now, people are just hoping for anything that could make the situation better. And that seems to be naturally lifting sanctions. But this assassination and the bill and the increase in tensions definitely make that much harder. And this most recent resurgence of COVID-19 just makes everything worse. Iran has had three big waves. So people have gotten more used to living with it and working with it because a lot of people can't afford to just shut down their businesses, not work for a while. There's still no end in sight because we don't know when we'll have a vaccine. Is there a fear that these tensions between Iran and the U.S. could affect Iranians' access to the vaccine? Iran should technically get the vaccine since vaccines are well, medicine, humanitarian needs. But from what we've seen in the past three years, medicine has also been significantly impacted by sanctions. So it wouldn't surprise me if there were issues concerning Iran getting a vaccine. Remember, Dr. Mohsen Fakhrizadeh was reportedly working on a COVID vaccine before his death. According to Iranian officials, that vaccine is expected to start human trials in Iran soon. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Oni Wohacha, Dina Kispe, Alexandra Locke, Priyanka Tilve, Ney Alvarez, Nikin Oliai, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is the engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is Al Jazeera's head of audio. We'll be back.